So we think about our message today. Just I want you to think about the church calendar. I want you to think about the, um, you know, the, the times and seasons in which the church celebrates various events uh, that, that just happen in the Scripture. Can, can you name one? Anyone? Just think about a, what's an event on the church calendar? Christmas, of course. The kids are like, Christmas is what we got, right? December 25th is when we celebrate. It's not that Jesus was born on that day. But it's when the, the church across the world has just kind of decided that, you know, that would be a good day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so we do as a, as a church. What's, what about another one? Uh, Austin, you had your hand up? No, you didn't? Okay, Thatcher, you got one? What? Easter, right. Uh, kind of every spring. Uh, who, who knows when Easter is? It's not December 25th. It's who knows when Easter happens. I'd be shocked if you can tell me. Not April. Well, maybe this year. When does it happen? Do you know? You got it, Nancy? It's on the tip of your tongue. Oh. Okay. It's based upon the Passover, the lunar calendar. So it's the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. If you can remember, my dad has always said that for years. He just tells us when it is. The first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox. So that's March 15th, first moon, and the, well, March 21st, maybe first moon, and then first Sunday after that. So good. Easter, what, what else is on the church calendar? Good Friday, yeah, associated with Easter. That's the, the Friday before... Easter, sometimes we call it Resurrection Sunday, we call it Good Friday, and we, we celebrate Christmas, um, you know, we celebrate uh, Easter, we celebrate the, the Resurrection, and Good Friday, we've often had a service here on Friday. What else in the church calendar? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, that's exactly right, that's Sunday before Easter, right, and we often have the kids come up and down just with their palm branches just to remind us, we sing Hosanna on that day, yep. What else in the church calendar? Can you think about Ash Wednesday? which begins the season of Lent, which is about 40 days before Easter, right? And then there's that season, which is oftentimes a season of repentance. And we, we celebrate that simply by celebrating the Lord's Supper every Sunday just to remember His death. But some churches go really deep um, after Ash Wednesday. Uh, I think one time we gathered even for a, a, a prayer service on Ash Wednesday, just uh, calling us all to humility. So we, we've done that before, but we normally don't. But a lot of churches do. What, what about other Dates, huh? Ascension? We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> Except Ascension Day, all right? What other? Do you know any others? Passover would be with Easter, yeah. It's the same thing. Pentecost Sunday, right? Which is when? It's 50 days after Easter, celebrating when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Now, we've never celebrated Pentecost before, but you know, maybe that would be a good thing to do because Pentecost is like the Holy Spirit's Christmas when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell among us. But that's Pentecost Day. We, we've not really celebrated that, but it's, it's okay. And with all these holidays, right? It's all these things. You, they're, not, they're not commanded in the Bible to do that. It's just if you find it useful. And the whole church abroad across the world does. So if you find it useful, you do it. And we've just not found Pentecost so useful. But maybe we could. Others, other days. Epiphany. What does Epiphany celebrate? Anyone know? The wise men coming. 
right? The appearance of the wise men. And, and that happens, uh, I think, uh, when, when does that happen? That happens, I forget, the 12th day after Christmas. You know the 12 days of Christmas? That's Epiphany, the 12th day, first day of Christmas, da-da. Okay? Any others? I only have two more. One's the Ascension and any other day? All Saints Day. When is that? November 1st, All Saints Day, right? When the, the church remembers just the, the saints of old and uh, just what, what God has done and worked through them. And, and that, that, that even might be biblical in some regards. Hebrews thirteen seven. remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their faith, imitate their lives. Considering the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith, rather. And so there, just remember those who've gone before us who've lived lives. Okay, but today, of course, is Ascension Day. And uh, I don't think we've ever mentioned Ascension Day in the whole life of Rock Valley Bible Church, not in a sermon, not in the weekly word, um, not in, in any other context. Will, although churches all over the world celebrate Ascension Day, that is the title of my message this morning, is the Ascension We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Um, Now, before we read the text, actually, we're going to do something special today because I want to ingrain this in in your hearts and minds. It's going to take maybe about 10 minutes. Um, Just I want to do something. The kids will love it, and they'll always remember this, okay? So it's kind of a sacrifice I, I, I thought about. First of all, I need a child who's going to volunteer, 10 years old or younger, and I'm looking for a September birthday. Any child except no? How about who, October birthday? Yes, Jack? October 7th? Okay, you're the closest. You're going to help me. What we're going to do is I want to get up and actually go outside. Okay, so Jack, why don't you come up here? I got something real special for you. Okay, so I was hoping for a day with little wind. Okay, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but this is a little picture of the ascension. Now, I know I'm littering, okay? Um, but I, I picked up more garbage over the years than here. Uh, I'm littering just right now. Okay, so go ahead, Jack. Why don't you just let it go? Oh, go up, go up. Please go up. Please go. Otherwise, you'd remember it really, really well. <laughs> This is not quite happening quite as I had anticipated, but it's working just fine. You don't know how thankful I am that that did not get caught in a tree. I just want to read our text. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Like, I can't even see it more. Can you guys still see it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even see it. Where is it? Uh, You guys have young eyes. You guys have young eyes. This is a picture of the ascension and what it is. It is just a a rising up. 
a, a lifting up to another level, going from one level to another level, a higher. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went from earth where he was. He went right up into heaven. As Psalm 110 says that he is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And this, this, by the way, was uh, affirmed in, a, in an early doctrinal statement, uh, an early confession that Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that he was manifest, manifest in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That's Jesus, just taken up in glory. It was part of the, the early confession of the church that found its way into the Bible. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, if you know it, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. And the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And so here it's in the scriptures about uh, this doctrinal affirmation about Jesus. It is in the Apostles' Creed, something that churches all across the world repeat every Sunday and they know. And yet at Rock Valley Bible Church, we have spoken so little about it until this morning. And this morning we will talk a little bit more about it. So let's go inside, settle ourselves down. Can you still see it? Is it still there? It's that big a dot, huh? All right. So if you want to, you can kind of just keep watching it. But we're going to start the rest of my sermon. So the kids might dally. But we'll be back in about three, five minutes. So that worked far better than even I had hoped. So I am so, so thankful uh, at this moment. Um, I don't know sure how long it lasted. But even Facebook got a, <clears throat> got a glimpse of it. So thank you, Brown Stature, however you made that work. That was, was wonderful. So you can open up your Bibles too. Acts chapter 1, and uh, so I've read the text there. I just hope that you can see just how fascinated, right, many of you were with looking on that balloon, just ascend and ascend. You couldn't take your eye, once you took your eyes off it like me, you, it's difficult to even see it and spot it again like I, I, I couldn't find it again. And once you lose it, and I'm sure these disciples, right, so they're look, looking up or watching it again and again, just watching, watching, watching until he was taken out of their sight. My first point of my message this morning is, is lifted up, because that's what Jesus was. He, w- he was lifted up. Now, we in our balloon, it kind of went, went way flat out, okay? And, um, but with, with Jesus, I imagine that he was just lifted, lifted straight up uh, until there was a cloud in the sky that took him out of their sight. Uh, I love the cases here in uh, verse 9. He was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. Was lifted as a passive verb, like it was done to him. The cloud took him out of their sight. It's almost as if the, the cloud had action and really, really took him. So it says that Jesus was really passive throughout this entire event. He didn't, he didn't jump, right? He didn't get a running start and fly like Superman. He didn't start flapping his wings. Uh, Luke tells us, though, that, that he did just lift up his hands to bless the disciples you know, maybe like this, he was blessing them, praying over them, and then was just, just lifted up. He was taken up to the cloud. It's almost as if this cloud was on a, a divine mission to, to swallow him up, to take him out of their sight. 
And as Jesus was ascending higher and higher, we don't know, 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet, where this cloud was, this cloud came and, and took him out of the sight. Literally, it says he was taken from their eyes. <clears throat> and if you look here it Luke, in Luke, and you look at this text, there are five times in these verses which speaks about sight or eyes. I mean, just even look at the first one there. As they were, verse 9, looking on, he was lifted up. And then he was taken out of their sight. It says, while they were gazing into heaven, these men came. And verse 11, it says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And said, Jesus who left will come in the same way that you saw him go. Just Luke's emphasis here strongly upon sight and, and seeing means that this really happened. And, and, and just these five times talking about they saw it. They were looking, they were gazing, and it was out of their sight. They, they once could see it, but then they couldn't see it anymore. And this repetition of things says it actually happened. Now, how? We have no idea. It was a miracle. And, and the whole idea of miracles is that they defy explanation. And sadly, so many people try to describe miracles by natural phenomenon, but then if they do, they, it's not a miracle anymore. It just kind of happened. So we don't need to say explain how it happened. It just happened. And because miracles are doubted, of course, there are always those who have been doubters of that. And even today, people argue against the reality of the ascension. But I want to push you here and just say that the disciples witnessed it. They talked about it. They preached about it. They wrote about it. In fact, look at the end of chapter 1. When Paul was, uh, the apostles were trying to figure out who could fill the role of Judas and the other disciples, Peter gives a description, one who might be able to fill this role in verse 21. He says, this is a guy. So he says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. Here he's talking about the event of the ascension is the day that he was taken up from us. And, and so he said, okay, so if someone's going to replace Judas, and we'll look at this in a couple weeks, he says, got to be someone who was with us from the time of John's baptism until the time when Jesus ascended into heaven. Almost these are like bookends of the, their life and their ministry because many of the disciples of Jesus were actually disciples of John first. And so they were disciples there following him and then they, they followed Jesus and then became the followers of Jesus. So that was like the first of the ministry. It started with John. They were familiar there. They came to be disciples of Jesus and they were disciples of him until he was taken up. It becomes this, this time uh, sort of idea. And, and I just say this, in in Peter's mind, both of these things hold the same reality. I mean, as sure as John the Baptist was really immersing people in the Jordan River, equally sure was Jesus Christ lifted up in the cloud. And this is no fringe doctrine. It's not something that you, as any professing Christian, can say, yeah, but I don't really believe that. You know, it's like the virgin birth. It's like the... Uh, the divinity of Jesus. This is crucial and central to Christian doctrine. Peter believed it. The apostles believed it because they saw it. Luke believed it, not because he saw it, but because, like all of us, he was told it. He was told it by eyewitnesses, certainly. But if, even look, check, chapter 1, uh, verse 2. 
Uh, again, we see this allusion to the ascension that we don't even think about. When we preach the news, we just kind of washed over it. And this is how I think we've dealt with the ascension and, and all the time at Rock Valley Bible Church so far in our 20-year history that's just kind of been mentioned just kind of in, in passing. But today we're dwelling on it more. But he writes here in, in Acts 1, verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Like, again, a time reference. Like, this taken up, this ascension, is this time aspect of the ministry of Jesus. It, it signals the end of his earthly ministry, right? Being lifted up. And so you, you might think, okay, so what's he doing now? Now that he was lifted up. Well, this is my, my second point, that he is now sitting down. Now, if you notice, my lifted up point has a verse 9 beside it, and my sitting down doesn't have anything by it because there's a big gap there of at least 2,000 years because verse 10 then speaks about this prophecy about Jesus is, is coming back. But I think it's, it's such a huge deal that I just wanted to insert this, this whole time frame because this is where Jesus is and this is where we find great encouragement in this. And, and so you say, where is Jesus right now? He is sitting down he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And, and the apostles proclaim this. I mean, they proclaim the death of Jesus. They proclaim the burial of Jesus. They proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. They proclaim the ascension of Jesus. And they proclaimed him sitting at the right hand of God the Father. In fact, turn over in Acts chapter 2. We see the day of Pentecost, the very first Christian sermon. Here is Peter declaring to all the Jews who'd gathered from all this multitude of nations, he's declaring to them about Jesus. And look right towards the end of his sermon in verse 32. He's speaking about the resurrection, and he says, verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that resurrection we all are witnesses. Catch the theme of the verse, right? Of, of, of the book, right? right? Be his witnesses. Be my witnesses. Here it is. We are witnesses of this. And then he says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he said, right, Jesus went up. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just as he promised, he was going to give that to the church. Now, this, of course, was written, Psalm 110 that he quotes from, was written about David. But he asks to clarify, Peter does here, and he says in verse 34 that David did not ascend into the heavens. See, see, David died. And even he says in verse 29, I can say with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. See, David died. David didn't do it, ascend. So Psalm 110, written by David, wasn't written about David. It was written about the Messiah who ascended. And he says, David did not ascend into the heavens, right? David did not ascend like Jesus. Jesus ascended. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's where Jesus ascended to. As Psalm 110 prophesied, at the right hand of God the Father. As he's waiting for a time when his enemies would be subdued and they would be his footstool. He's just waiting to come back and exert his rule and his reign. Well, in Acts chapter 7, we get another glimpse of the ascension of Jesus. You can turn over there. This is with the preaching of, of Stephen. And he preached this powerful message to the Jewish people about how they'd always resisted anybody who they had sent as a redeemer and a deliverer, whether that's Joseph 
or whether that's Moses, or whether that's any of the prophets, they always rejected God's ways. They always rejected God's messenger. And Stephen concludes his message by calling his listeners, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. And he says there in verse 52, which of the fathers did your um, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So they rejected even the messengers of the righteous one coming. The righteous one came and you rejected him. You all are stiff-necked just like your fathers were. And that's to be expected, verse 54. They heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. So kids, can you think about that? Enraged, and they ground their teeth. And as angry as they were, Stephen was happy. But Stephen, it says in verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And what did he see in verse 56? He saw Jesus, 55. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, the heavens are opened, and I see the glory of God, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he saw it, and then he reported what he saw, and then they, they were eager to him, and angry against him, and they stoned him to death. And as he was dying, he called out, verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's praying to Jesus because he sees Jesus right there in heaven, standing before the right hand of God. And as he fell to his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Now note here is the location of Jesus. When Stephen was preaching and being martyred, Jesus was right there at the right hand of God. See, he descended into heaven. And what's he doing now? He's sitting down. Except he's not sitting down here in this passage. This is the only place in the Bible where we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why is he standing? I don't know. I think he's given a standing ovation to Stephen. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So receiving him, standing up, receiving the first Christian martyr into the heavenly kingdom. I love the way F.F. Bruce says it. He says, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. And so the question is, what did... What did Jesus do next? What do you think he did next? I think he sat right back down. I think he put his feet up, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. And and who knows? Maybe every time a believer enters heaven, Jesus stands up to give a standing ovation for a job well done, being faithful to the end. Who knows? We don't know, but we know that he is standing up at this point. But we know that the Scripture says he's sitting down. He's also receiving people in the kingdom. He's also praying. And this, perhaps, is really where uh, it should resonate in our hearts about the, the, uh, the ascension. The book of Hebrews really wonderfully lays, lays this out. It puts forth Jesus as the great high priest, the one who intercedes for us to God. You might consider Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. For your convenience, I just put it right there on the screen. You can look at it. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the ascension comes right there in verse 14. You can see it, Jesus passing through the heavens, being lifted up, taken by the cloud, continuing his travels into the heaven where he sat down then at God's right hand. And he has become such, verse 14 says, our great high priest. And since Jesus lived among us on the earth, he can, as verse 15 says, sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And since he's at the right hand of God the Father, he has ready access to the ear of the Father. He doesn't have to social distance because the, God is, the Father's in his family. And he's right there, and he can plead and pray for us. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 calls Jesus our advocate. That is our defense attorney. That is the one who pleads for us in our, in our case. He, he pleads a case before the Father. In fact, it's not so much as interesting that he pleads our case as he pleads his case on our behalf, Right? That's the whole idea of substitutionary atonement, that it's not that, that God says, oh, look at, this, look at this servant of mine, and, and look at how good he is, and, and look at how righteous he's been. He, doesn't, he, he pleads his case, Father, look at how righteous I was, and, and him, you punished me instead of him, so, so look upon me rather than him. He pleads his own case for those whom he redeemed at the cross of Christ. So when we sin, Jesus goes before his Father, and says, don't punish this one because you already punished me upon the cross. There's, there's no more punishment to give. If you punish him, that's double jeopardy, God. The Father, right? Father, don't forgive them because I died for their sins. That's, that's what he's pleading. And when we sin again, he's before the throne again saying, listen, I totally agree with you, Father, that she deserves to die. But remember, I died in her stead. And it was my death for her stead, for her death, and you were happy to receive that sacrifice, do you remember? And over and over, he just intercedes, he pleads with us. That's the activity of Jesus in the heavens. That's what Jesus does. He prays for us, and he intercedes for us. In fact, Hebrews 7, verse 25, right? Consider this, right? Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. It says that Jesus is always living to do this. This is his full-time job. But Jesus doesn't take a break. It's not like he says, oh, I'm going to tired. I'm going to take my lunch break now. I'm not going to pray right now. He's not saying that. He does this 24-7, 365. He always lives. So that means that we can come to the throne of grace with prayer. In fact, that's what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 calls it. He calls it the throne of grace. Because we can find mercy and grace at the throne of grace right where Jesus is. It's not the high and exalted throne that's inaccessible to us. No, it's the throne of grace that we can find help in time of need. It draws us really to pray. And, and Jesus does pray for us. He, he always lives to make intercession for us. But also, look at this. Hebrews 9.24 Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And that's the idea, that he's appearing for us on our behalf. We're here on earth. Jesus is in heaven pleading and praying for us. You know, we sang it today, right? Before the throne of God above, 
I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. And so when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what do we do? Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because Jesus has been ascended and he is, right, sitting down. He is right there. He's got the ear of the Father. He's pleading and praying for us. And someday when we pass from this life into the next life, he will receive us into his glory as he received Stephen And by the way, I just say it's no wonder then in the book of Acts, if you turn back to Acts chapter 1, as soon as we find Jesus leaving the disciples, taking his seat on this throne of grace, what do the disciples do? Look ahead. What do they do? What? They pray, right? Look what it says. It mentions the disciples. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All of these were devoting themselves with one accord to prayer. That's my message next week. May the Lord grant Rock Valley Bible Church to devote ourselves all in one accord to prayer. That takes some desperation for that, but that's what they did. That's where Jesus was. So maybe they couldn't see him anymore because a cloud had taken him out, but they knew he was at the throne of grace. And they're pleading and they're praying, devoted to prayer. That's next week, earnest prayer together. But today it's the ascension. We have seen verse verse 9, says Jesus was, was lifted up. We see in the space between 9 and 10, right? These 2,000 years, Jesus is sitting down. And then we find in verses 10 and 11, we find Jesus coming back. Now that's a prophecy, right? This isn't past, but it's the the men who come and and tell them that it's going to take place. Look again at verse 10. And while they're gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. Now, I don't fault the disciples at all for looking into heaven and, and gazing into heaven, right? Because whenever anything strange or, or different takes place, isn't that when we, when we stare, we want to we wanna look, right? You, you see something strange, you're going you're to look at it. You, you want to know what's happening. You, you want to know what's happened. You want to know what's happening, how, how it's all going to turn out. It's what the disciples were doing, right? And you guys are watching that balloon and just seeing how it's going to turn out. Seeing if that plane, did that plane hit it? Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe. Right? That, what, that, what's happening in that balloon? Where's it going to land? We don't know. We don't know. You know, it's a bit like those who drive by an automobile accident. Right? They slow down because there's this, this, this traffic jam. And what do we call it here in the Midwest? When the traffic slows down, we call it a, what do we call it? Do you know? Any listen to traffic radio? Maybe we don't have traffic out here in Rockford. We don't listen to that. Gapers block, right? What does gapers mean? <gasps> right? They're watching. They're watching. So we, we, we block it all up. Do you know what they call it in California? They don't call them gapers. You know what they call them? What do they call them in California? Avon, what do they call them in California? 
They're rubberneckers is what they're called, right? They're, they're the people who got their necks going swing away around like Jar Jar Binks or something. You're just going, whoa! It's rubberneckers. We call them gapers here. But that's what the disciples are doing. They're gazing into heaven, right? Their, their mouth is open, right? Kind of like Michael, right? Remember in the, the Sound of Music, right? His, his mouth is like... And Mary Poppins would say, shut your mouth, Michael. That's what he does. They're just gaping. They're understanding like, like here he is. He's, he's off. And I don't blame them. It was strange and new. They're trying to see what happened, right? Is Jesus going to come out of the clouds? Is he going to reappear? Is it going to be a flash of lightning? What, what's gonna, what happens? Is he going to come back down? They didn't know what to think. And that's why I think these two men showed up in white robes to tell them what to think, to interpret the events of what's happening. By the way, these white robes suggest these men were really angels. After the resurrection, both the Gospel of Matthew and John describe an angel or two talking with Mary uh, at uh, the tomb, telling the women who showed up that, hey, Jesus isn't here. He's raised just like you said. And uh, Matthew describes this angel, it describes as an angel with clothing white as snow. John simply says that there were two angels in white. And so we have reason to believe that these are are angels. If they are, They've been sent from God with a message for the disciples. The disciples needed to hear this, needed to interpret this event of what it meant. And they put an end to all their, their speculation, right? That, that he wasn't going to appear again, right? He wasn't just going to kind of come back with you again, uh, like, like to teach you more about the kingdom of God. No, he's, he's gone. And he's up there, and he's away. So, in other words, right, it ended this, this time of Jesus earthly on in his ministry, right? When he comes back, it's going to be different. When he comes back in the same way, he's going to come back for judgment. He's going to come back in his glory. But, but basically, he says, just stop looking there. Like, he's gone. He's going to come back someday, but you need to get about your work. Don't, don't, you, don't you stand there. And, and I love the parallels between the ascension of Jesus and his return when Jesus comes back. He says he's going to come back in the same manner. That's what the angel says there in, uh, in verse 11. He'll come back in the same way. You know that, that, that Jesus will come back in the same way. There's several ways. He'll come back on the clouds. Matthew 24 says about the tribulation after those days when the sun's going to be dark and the moon won't give its light and the stars of the heaven falling from the sky. Then Jesus says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He went up in a cloud. He's going to come back with a cloud. The same way. He'll come back to the same place. If you look in verse 12, we've got an inference here that they were on um, mount called Olivet. That's the Mount of Olives. Uh, the Mount of Olives, it says here, is about a Sabbath day journey away. It's about a couple miles, maybe two miles. You know, maybe a mile and a half, three kilometers, whatever that is. Maybe it's just less than two miles away, how far they could walk. And it's just down this valley, Kid Run Valley, and up over the Mount of Olives. And it's whenever you see a picture of Jerusalem there with the Dome of the Rock and all the Jerusalem Mount, it's always taken from the Mount of Olives, right where it was. And that's right where they were when Jesus was taken up Listen to the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. On that day, he's talking about the return, like the context here is the return, the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will split in two from east and west by a very wide valley. 
So that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. So you've got Jesus coming back on the clouds. He's physically coming back right there on the Mount of Olives. It clearly says this is east of Jerusalem, right where the Mount of Olives is. He's going to stand and there's going to be this giant earthquake from one side to the other. Right, The, the earth is going to split. It's the picture that Zechariah gives of us. He's going to come back in the same way. He's going to come back in the same place. And I believe he's going to come back with the same surprise. I think his disciples were shocked when he ascended to heavens. I mean, they were telling him, okay, I've got to go. I've got to go. Right? Even remember when, when Mary was hugging, he says, no, 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 I've I, I, I got to go. I, got, I haven't ascended yet to my father. Right? There's this, this inference that Jesus is going to go away for good. In the, in the uh, upper room discourse, he said, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send the, the helper to you. So they knew that. And, uh, but then he died, and then he did come back, and he was still talking. And so I think they knew a little bit about his ascension, but I think the exact time and moment, I think, took them by surprise. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the rubberneckers they were, just right, looking up and seeing Jesus ascend up. I don't think they were expecting him just to rise in the heavens. I don't think they had a lot of warning. I mean, here Jesus was even blessing them, right? Normally when someone pastor or someone blesses a congregation like i don't rise up and just disappear never see me again they thought there'd be some transition after that but the coming back of jesus is much the same jesus warned over and over and over again that he's coming back but yet like a thief in the night is the way that he described his coming back he says it's going to be like in the days of noah when, when people were enjoying the pleasures of life they were eating and they're drinking they're marrying they're giving in marriage they're just enjoying life, like not even thinking about any destruction that's coming. They're thinking about pleasures. And then the flood came and wiped them away. They're totally surprised at the coming of destruction and how many there are in the world today who are just carrying on their life, even though Jesus told them again and again and again he's going to come back. He says there are many who are like a thief in the night. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not expect. And so really the application to us is to be ready. Be ready for his, his return. He, he left in the clouds. He returned. He'll return in the clouds. He left from... Mount of Olives, who returned the Mount of Olives. Yet, it also says, lightning flashes across the sky. Everyone will see, and everyone will know. See him coming back. And we need to be ready and not be surprised, as the disciples were when he lifted up, as many will be on the return of Christ. And, and when he returns, right, he's going to, basically, he's going to judge the world. That's what, that's what uh, the Apostles' Creed says that I quoted outside. I just want to quote it for you again, because just consider my outline this morning who was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. Right, The third day, he rose again from the dead. He, help me, ascended into heaven, point number one, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is, this is the last phrase of the Apostles' Creed, just right, right here from this. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead and the dead. He's going to come back as judge to those who have not believed, but he's going to come back as a savior to those who have believed in his atoning death upon the cross. And so I just encourage you to believe the gospel. 
and pursue the one who prays for us. Believe that Christ died for our sins. Believe Christ died for your sins. Believe that your only hope before God is not your own righteousness, not your own deeds of righteousness that you've done, but it's His mercy that will save you through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says, See, it's by grace we're saved. It's through faith. It's not of ourselves. But that's how we're saved through God. When He comes back, if we still are alive and we see that coming. Everyone will see it. There'll be no doubt that this is Jesus coming back as we've trusted in Him will be made right and He will give us a standing ovation. We're faithful until the end, trusting Him with all of our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I would pray, God, that we just might think this Ascension Day, maybe not being exactly the day in which the, the church celebrates uh, Ascension Day, ten days after Easter, always occurring on a Thursday, Um, this is not that day, but for us at Rock Valley Bible Church, it is Ascension Day. As we think about you ascending and taking your seat before the Father, God, and you plead for us. Jesus, we, I just would, would plead and pray for all of us that we might look to you, that we might realize this is true, the ascension really happened, that you were lifted up, and that you are really seated in the heavens. As our great high priest, and that you are really coming back. Maybe we be, may we be prepared for that day when you come back and return and take us to yourself. Oh God, help us in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.